From Fathead Studios in Speedway, Indiana, this is The Skinny. Was that the year when you had passed some incredible number of cars? I want to say over the yeah. last three races, or maybe maybe it's the last three races, but that last race. The did. last race, I think four position, not counting lap cars, but four position, I think we passed 117 cars. Right, for it was a crazy only number. only 43 cars that start the yeah, race. Yeah. But we... Uh, you know, we started the race, uh, Kurt Busch's U-joint breaks, like 12 laps into the race, goes through the front of our car. They tell me, they see this, they call me in on the caution, they come in and fix it. We go to the back, we get halfway up through the field, the next stint, and uh, well, I told the guys in the yellow, I'm like, hey, you know, it's pressure's off, I mean, we just got to go out and just, we'll get everything we can get, guys, we're not done, but we'll get everything we can get, and, you know, we just it's just bad luck. You and know? this is the first, uh, the first ownership. Time ownership uh being an owner driver so we get about halfway through the field and then i catch another buddy of mine david rudeman and at the last second i get ready to pull to the left and start to the left and he pulls to the left just to let me go well i'd already started moving i clip him in the right rear with the left front poke a hole in the nose and i remember him calling me on radio going we have to come back in and fix it again so we come back in and and i'm laughing and i'm I'm just comical at this point because it's like you know, we're screwed. We've, you know, aerodynamics are everything in these cars. And not once now, twice we've screwed up the aero on this thing. And uh, I'd said, well, and I'm just joking around. I'm like, man, they're really going to be pissed off when we come from the back and win this thing now. No clue that we could even remotely do that. But we ran the next stint. We got back up to fifth, and that's when the rain, the first rain delay happened. And uh, the I remember seeing Carl. He he had led the entire thing, I think, up to that point. And I remember I was had just taken my helmet off, hung it up on the deal, was just getting ready to get the window net, and I'm watching him climb out, so I stopped. And he was sitting on the door of his car, and he kind of leans back and sees me, four cars behind him, and you, you, you his just it was like like he had seen a ghost. <laughs> because so, in his mind, he had eliminated you, like he's yeah, not in he, the hunt anymore. They've told him yeah. twice that we've had problems, and yeah. that you know he's leading the race. He's just got to go do what he's doing, and turns around, and he's like, you can see the look on his face is like. Wait, how did he? How how did he get up here? But I remember the best part of that during the rain delay was was uh, Jack Roush and and uh, Jeff Clark who worked for Roush Yates Engines and uh, got out and the restroom was cleared out at the end of pit road where they were where their pit stall was for getting the pole and uh, Jack had his back to me and Jeff Clark was looking at me and Jeff smiles and nods just being polite and I tapped Jack on the shoulder and I said hey he turns around and I said you better tell your boy to get on his horse because. I'm coming. And Jeff Clark's just back there trying to not laugh out loud. And cause Jeff knows this is Jeff knows what's coming on this deal. And, and, uh, you know, he's just shaking his head like, Oh, I can't believe he just did that to him, you know? So, but it was, that was a hell of a night. But, um, but yeah, that's, I, I will tell you one thing that I remember about that race was watching the car on the ragged edge the whole time coming back through there and watching the car and looking at it and thinking, this son of a bitch is going to rotate all the way here in just a minute. The worst part about it, I'm pulling slide jobs every lap, and nobody's up there going, slide jobs, slide jobs, slide jobs. <laughs> it's like, damn it, I did it long before Dale Jr. thought it was popular. <laughs> he was pulling slide jobs, but I'm telling you, man, it was just like the, the car just looked like I it was, was I so was much doing for teaching Cruz on how to save the, yeah. <laughs> save the tire. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That was one of those do as I say, not as I do yeah. comments at that point, but, but that was Fun. That, that's those are the, the we you just talked about the two greatest moments of my life in racing was 
the single race and championship at Homestead and the Triple Crown. I mean, those by far, uh, when people say, what's what's the one thing that, that you say are your, your shining, crowning achievements, those two things are, are what, what come to the top of the list for sure. Is this where he flips the car? Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Right there, I, I would have passed down. I was wide open. I would have passed down about the third time it went around, <laughs> by the way. Did you have the steering my, wheel on? That's though? what I thought. I thought you took the my, steering wheel yeah. on. My head was glued to the sideboard. Or to the <laughs> and it was all the well, way I mean, back. This is the best part. I was dizzy right here. I'm dizzy. I mean, did you know, did you plan right at this point to, to yeah, jump on so, Brian? Yeah, we... We he was at, looking at uh, Keith, but he ended up jumping on Brian. <laughs> yeah. And so, how so that's how it turned out. Oh, I don't know. There, I lost, you, oh, you lose track about halfway through. See, that's what okay. we got big Carl here for. <laughs> Carl's supposed to have this yeah, information. Yeah, he was, he was that... counting them. Roll that back. Honestly, I've never done donuts ever since that chili that race right there. I've never done it. <laughs> you did enough for a I career. I mean, it's... I don't think you can beat that. I don't think you can. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's no. one and done. I mean, perfect. Yeah, the, the the only thing I'm not sure the Russian judge scored him properly. He didn't think the the Russian judge thought he didn't stick Collusion. the landing like he should over something. That thing was on all four corners one at a time at different points during that landing before he just didn't stick the landing like he should. But I mean, it was pretty impressive. You know, the, was it United that said fly the friendly skies? They weren't friendly in the 60s because you had Herdebees, Parnelli, Foyt, McCluskey, Uncle Bobby, Ruby. Now, I don't, I don't know that any of – I think McCluskey might have been the only one of the six that actually passed his written test. The rest of them either didn't take it or didn't pass it. Was it a written test for flying? Yes. Okay. <laughs> for flying. Sorry. A written test for flying. So one day, I'm at the star, and Herdebees calls me up, and he says, What are you doing? I said, ah, Not much, Ricky. Want to go to Cleveland with me and get some parts? I said, Yes. So I go out, and he had a CB. He had an old CB plane, uh, you know, amphibious. And Prince, his dog, is sitting in the, as the co-pilot, and we, push it, we have to push it out of this little hangar, and Herc fires it up, and there's a little blue smoke coming out of the engine. You're thinking, mm, well, it's okay. If I die, it doesn't matter. Jim Herdebees. I won't be part of the headline, but I'll die with my hero. It's okay. So we take off. His radio doesn't work. And we're flying along and about 5,000 feet, and he pulls it down to about 2,500. What's that sign say? I said, Newcastle. Okay. <laughs> so we flew to Cleveland on the interstate. I mean, you know, you hear all these horror stories that, you know, my buddy Tony Bentonhausen got killed in the plane crash and Alan Kowicki and all the and Graham Hill and all the racing people that have lost their lives. And Tony Bentonhausen was as meticulous a pilot as I've ever, you know, he he wasn't a daredevil. And he, yet here in the 60s were these crazy guys that no roll cage, no fuel cell, not much of a helmet. They were pretty brave to start with. So flying an airplane, it was like, you know, what's the big deal? I mean, it, you pull up and the thing goes up and you come, you know, I mean, self-taught pilots. Yeah. As Uncle Bobby yeah. says, I'm a self-taught engineer, honey. Well, he that told, could be, but. He, to, he told me, he goes, he says, yeah, he goes, uh, he said, I won Pike's Peak that year. And he said, I uh, paid all my bills and I had $3,000 left over. 
He goes, and I went and bought an airplane. I said, oh, wow, cool. So you, you, you became a pilot. He goes, oh, no, I never went and got my license. I just started flying. I was like, holy gosh, what do you mean you just started flying? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, in this plane, he goes, he goes, you'd have to put oil in it and get in the plane and take off quick because the oil would start draining out of it because it would start flowing backwards until you got it up level and it wouldn't go out of it. I'm like, well, that sounds pretty dangerous. He goes, he goes oh, no. He said, I was, he goes, I was, uh, he goes, I was racing out at, uh, out at Ascot for Ag, you know, Agajanian. He goes, I was racing out there for him. He goes, it's either a 17-hour drive from Albuquerque or it was a seven-hour flight with one stop. He goes, so I was doing great. I got $300 to show up there. <laughs> it was like $300 to risk your life. Yep. <laughs> like- he landed once, Rico, he landed once in Albuquerque, and it was like a 90-mile-an-hour crosswind or something like that. Ronnie Doss, who, who was at lunch today, and it was Howard Milliken's son and was a really helped Buddy Lazare win the Indy 596. Ronnie's a smart guy, and I think he might have been with him on this trip when he was like 14 or 15. But Uncle Bobby kind of misjudged the interstate and the electric guy wires <laughs> and, and the hangar. And, you know, mad, mad, mad world where the guy goes under the hangar. Yeah. I think Unser did that. Bounced storming. once and then came back out of the. <laughs> the fact that that Unser is still alive and any of those guys are. I mean, Parnelli said one day. Parnelli said, "You know, he said racing was pretty dangerous back then." He says, "But so was daily life with the Unsers." <laughs> I mean, just trying to. I heard they, they drove bored. the streetcars like a race car. Anytime you got in a car with them, it was wide open. You was... couldn't. You couldn't. In the mid '60s, Hertz. And Avis were the only two rent-a-car companies in the United States. In North America, neither one of the Unsers were allowed to rent a car because they destroyed so many cars. We go to Mossport once. Mossport's got this blind right-hander. So Bobby Unser talks Jerry Grant into renting a car for him in Jerry Grant's name. God rest his soul, Jerry Grant was a wonderful guy. And they were teammates. One and done. You learn your lesson So they go to the racetrack. And Unser takes the keys to Jerry Grant's cars and throws throws them 100 yards away and jumps in his car and takes off. So Jerry Grant wants to, you know, he jumps in the car and takes off after Bobby and Al Unser. They go around the right-hander, stop the car in the middle of the track sideways, and they both run over to the side. Jerry Grant comes over, (laughs) the blind right-hander, pile drives, should have killed him. I mean, you know, they didn't think about that. Broke the broke the car in half, steam pouring out of the radiators, and they're laying on the ground laughing. And Grant's like, "You, what? I can't." So not only is that bad enough, then they decide one of the cars was still salvageable, so they get another rent a car. And they told Jerry, "Listen, we'll we'll pay for it. Don't worry about that. But let's take this down. We'll tell them the other one was stolen. But we can get this one back. It's the wheels are still moving. You know, we get the front end bowed in." So Mossport's up on a hill, a mountain, and so they Grant gets in the car, and the Unsers are pushing him down this hill, and they're going 30, 40, 50, and he finally leaves the road, goes down an embankment, and thankfully there's a bunch of trees that stopped him. Yeah, thankfully. They almost killed him twice in an hour, and Grant said, I, I, I had nobody to blame but myself, and I'm like, no, how could you be that stupid? You can't let the Unser... Because he said he looked back in the rearview mirror, and they're laughing as you're going faster and faster, and he's trying to keep this thing on the road. Can, can you hang on for just a second? This is really important. Just for one second. Yeah, yeah Roger. Roger, I'm, uh, I'm talking with Davey and Carl right now. Listen, I'll get you back a little later. Uh, uh, 
go ahead with the plans in the first turn anyway. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Okay. Uh, that Pensky, Pensky calling in? <laughs> yeah, Roger called. That was him on the phone right now. Uh, well, we got a deal going. I probably shouldn't say anything yet, but uh, what he wants me to do is, is he wants to bring a weekly show there with the uh, – the bombers and the figure eight down in the first turn. And uh, also he's pretty big on doing the monster trucks, trucks and the swamp buggies in the infield. But, you know, I keep telling him I'll get to it when I can get to it. So I don't know. You know, he actually said that with the monster trucks, he might want to try to run one one himself. So he was a pit reporter for us at IMS radio now for several years. And he goes up to Roger after Roger gets his 16th or 17th poll. Kevin to tell the story better. But he asked him, he goes, Roger, I know this is your, you know, 17th pole for the Indy 500. You won 17 races. But but tell us honestly, will, will your career ever be, really be complete without a Swamp Buggy <laughs> Championship? <laughs> Whenever I show up, it's just pure chaos, it seems like. I don't quite get it. But. The great thing, I'm so fortunate to have A.J. Foyt stories, right? I mean, my, growing up, him being my hero, there's a lot of them I just can't tell. <laughs> just because I would get Shocker. trouble. And yeah. But but one of them was uh, as I was living in Vegas when I was driving for him, and he, and he calls me up and he goes, "Hey, uh, uh, what are you doing?" I go, "I'm just hanging out." He goes, "Can you can you come to Texas?" I go, "Yeah, when?" He goes, "I think probably right now." I go, "Oh, okay." Like, so I get a plane ticket. I go to Texas. I'm the whole way. You're going. Is this it? Are we like? Is this a are you good? Fired? Yeah. Am I getting out? What, what's going on? And we did just run second in the championship for him, and we we're kind of on a little bit of a roll and. And uh, and I got second to Stewart, but he cheated. So I don't know if that's a true second or what, but I know he cheated for sure. Well, we'll get Tony in here and we'll hear his side of the story. That should be a great show. Yeah. Future yeah. skinny show coming to you, Tony yeah. Stewart and Davey Hamilton. Yeah. Sort it's, out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go like this. Hey, Davey, or uh, Tony, Davey's talking about you on the show the other day boom he'll be right yeah so uh so i i get to the airport and usually he has somebody pick you up but aj picked me up himself i go i don't know if this is good or not either so i get in the car and the first thing he goes you weld right i go like weld like metal yeah i go yeah and weld. he goes good he says i got some work to do my bulldozer (laughs) i go oh you know i i didn't dress for bulldozer work And, and i thought okay so we we got to his ranch and he has this inch thick steel plate, four by eight, big thing, sitting on two drums. And uh, he goes, I'll, uh, I'll cut this out, and then you can weld it on the blade of my bulldozer. I go, okay, like, all right. And I go, these drums, are they like, you, they, you need to move them out a little bit? And he goes, yeah, let's move them out just a little bit so it's just on the edge of them. I go to move one, it's full of methanol. Both of them are full of methanol. <laughs> and I go, AJ, these are full of methanol. He goes, I'll be all right, no big deal. So I see. I see he fires this torch up with a flame blowing like two feet long, and he's cutting this inch thick steel. And and I, I turn because I'm getting away, so I'm walking. I turn around and he's doing this with no no goggles, goggles nothing. nothing on. Old school. And I go, oh AJ, I go, don't do you have some goggles? Oh, I couldn't find them, so I had some brand new fat heads, <laughs> right? He put I give them to him to wear them. He puts puts the sunglasses on. And I turn around to get out of there again, and the thing run, runs out of oxygen. Well, they run out of oxygen, it makes this pop. So I hear this pop, big bang. I turn around, and the glasses are smoking, right? I mean, there's, like, all the metal and stuff. And he goes, whoa, good thing you gave me those, right? Like, yeah. So how far did you go up into go-karts and then where? Then where? So I skipped out of go-karts uh, kind of at 13, um, just 
just got into junior category and then and ran that for maybe a year, year and a half, and then started in Formula V. So I think at that point I was the youngest. I think it was a, a Guinness World Record at the time was when I was racing uh, open wheel at the age of 13. It's probably been beat now uh, just with the age of some of these young kids. Uh, but there was there was a lot of controversy in the fact that we kind of got through a loophole in the licensing because most countries you have to have a road bearing license before you can go for a racing license. But there was like a small, um, you know, uh, one liner that, you know, if you, if you could get spe- a special dispensation by going and somebody watching you on track and, and that's what I did, which that was a funny story. I kind of went to Pukekohe, which is one of our bigger tracks in New Zealand. And I had to go around. It was in a Suzuki Swift. I don't know if you know, it's like a little <laughs> 1200 road car white thing. And I uh, had to go around with a driver for, for Regan Morgan uh, was, was the guy and um, did a few laps. And then we came around the fastest corner. I don't know if you've been there. It's like flat out. Uh, and that car was probably only 100 miles an hour because it was so slow. But there was a family of ducks that were walking across the track. Oh, no. And I swerved to miss them, spun the car, went in, ended up in the grass and just stopped before the bank. And all I remember was that the driver sitting in the – or Regan sitting in, in the passenger seat saying, just hit the ducks next time, please. <laughs> Please do not swerve to avoid the ducks. By the way, no ducks were harmed in yes. this show, and no, they, apparently at, at yeah. that racetrack. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that good. was that was the end of my practice day there. But uh, so let's let's go along at that same time frame because you were 13 years old. Let's let's hear about the Nissan story because apparently you had a, a pad strapped to your back so you could reach the pedals. Yeah. So the that it was kind of a within like two months. I had my first Formula V race and it ran really well. Um, I think I came like third or something in my first race or fifth and then then was passing another one on, in the second race of that weekend. We actually crashed in that same corner. I, I missed the ducks <laughs> and uh, broke the car pretty bad. But then, uh, yeah, I think three or four races into my Formula V season, um, Dad thought it would be a good idea to to do some endurance racing. And it was called the Nissan Sentra Cup, I think, at that time, which were you know all one-made cars. There was probably 35 or 40 of these things, and it was – classic racing it was like the old british touring cars like the mazda mx5 cup exactly <laughs> which is the best racing on any weekend man that we have we sit in our truck watching that race the whole time and it's it's so cool but yeah so coming around uh i got past that corner this time where i where i missed the ducks and uh, i was like lap um three so we shared the car and the the um i was 13 the regular guy was like 40 40 40 years old or whatever and uh, he thought it would be a good idea since we were renting the car that i start the race too which we should have seen a mile off and uh yeah i got spun uh exiting onto the back straight and just barrel rolled this thing uh and destroyed it but the worst part was you know for the driver change to make it fast was you know because i was shorter at the time uh i had this big pink floral cushion 13 you were shorter it wasn't just a cushion man it was this big pink floral thing taped to my backside oh so it was pink Pink. and i get out and i'm just bawling my eyes out man and and uh it made like the front page of our biggest newspaper in new zealand and and yeah it was it was that was it no more 13 year olds not a a good look man there is video yeah yeah i think but the video is the one i've seen is pretty grainy you can't actually see me crying which is good these guys over here carl and aaron they'll find it yeah there's video though those guys will find thank, it. Thank God there wasn't HD technology exactly. then. You know, exactly. They just saw the flowers on the auto and everything. So yeah, so it was a pretty interesting start to my racing career with uh, lots of ups and downs. But they, the, the the year worked out fantastic. I won the championship in Formula V first year in, in and uh, yeah, it was cool. That massive wreck that you had uh, just a couple of years ago, and I was actually standing beside Robbie when when that happened. Uh, boy, that place has really delivered some crazy stuff to you along the, along your way. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's Indianapolis. You know, I think that's what it is summed up, you know, is is the highs and lows, you know, are just uh, can be pretty brutal that place. But, you know, I think that's what is so fun about it is the challenges, you know, and, and one day, you know, even in testing, you can be, it can be feeling easy and then the next day it can just bite you in the ass, you know, and, and uh, I think it, it, it requires 100% respect every day, every minute of the day testing at that place, you know, the, the, the fine changes because you're running, you know, so far on the limit that, you know, the ambient conditions or a shift in the wind, you know, can, it can just, uh, it can take it away from you quickly. So it's, um, that's what I love about India. It's just, it's just that challenge, you know, it's, it's trying to figure it out. And, and, uh, some years, you know, you, you just know when you roll off in the first couple of days of testing that it's going to be a much easier year than, than some of the others. Um, I think in, in recent years, you know, the manufacturers, play pretty heavily in the shift of power that's delivered on on certain days and then you know once you get to fast friday or qualifying you really really understand where you where you've been sitting and you know unfortunately for us you know the last few years we we just haven't really been in the race you know it's uh, i think we you know we we got involved in one of the crashes last year kind of running in the top eight but you know, the previous year we finished third, but it was more strategy that kind of got us there. You know, gone are the days where, you know, we had a, a really good string of, you know, runner-up positions, you know, the occasional win that uh, that I had at least in 08 and Dario had a string of them, um, you know, through that period. So uh, it's been a huge focus for our team, especially in, in, in the off-season of, of trying to understand where we've been getting it wrong and, and trying to reassess, you know, some situations. But, uh, you know, hopefully Honda have uh, stepped it up as well. I know that's been their sole focus in the off-season has just been Indianapolis and hopefully that plays true. We just really want to talk to the person. You know, the yeah. racing thing is kind of a side note to us, which we think it's cool. We love it. We're, we're into it. But, you know, it's more about, you know, knowing who the guy is in there and that, you know, the, the hardships and the fights that it took to get to where you are today, which is pretty awesome. For sure. And I and I think IndyCar is there. They are focusing on that. Like their campaign for this year is a different breed, right? So that's that's kind of cool. Like what we're doing is, is definitely more dangerous than NASCAR or formula one or whatever. So like, they're kind of focusing on the fact that like, we might have a few screws loose or we might be a little crazy, but, right. but that's why we love it. So I, I think there's a lot of positive stuff going on and yeah, they want to show who we are and, 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 and how we got to where we are and how we got the ability to, you know, shut off the danger part of our brain and just go out there and, you know, do our thing. The off season has been very long, uh, a lot longer than I'm used to. Uh, previously before IndyCar, I was always like racing up until end of November, pretty much. And then you had like a month or two with off season and then you're, you're at it again. And now this year is feels like it's been forever since we were in Laguna for the last race. So it's uh, yeah. It makes uh, at least me super eager to get started now, and and I've I've used this time to really prepare myself and and make sure that uh, I'm ready for the season. It's been weird, uh, you know. It's, it's almost a mixed feeling of feeling like a rookie again and feeling more prepared than ever because you know it's uh, every season is the biggest season of your career, right? And uh, you know we always try to train harder and prepare harder and you know look at onboards and watch the races and all that stuff. But it's you know I mean. If you're not in the car, it's pretty hard to practice. So, uh, yeah, it's been a kind of weird off-season. It can't feel too much like work because that's not why we started. You know, when you were young, you you, you want to be a racing driver. You want to have fun. And you want to be fast. And you, you don't want every day to feel like you're in an office, you know, doing checklists. and you know, I get that. Speaking I get that part. <laughs> so so I, I think we have a good mix there. It's a good balance for sure. As rookies on the team, any any did they pull any pranks on you? 
They did a T-shirt with a Swedish oh, chef. That's... He like inspired the team to make a T-shirt with a Swedish chef. And yeah, it's it's a bit old now, but he, he likes to go on about it every time. He's like, oh, Swedish chef. <laughs> yeah, they were trying to get us to do it. I'm like, I'm out. I'm not doing that. Yeah. I told him we were going to start the show off with it. So. So you guys will feel comfortable. <laughs> what our fans fail to get, what really motorsports fans fail to remember is cup guys, they go around, you get the checkered flag. You've got two or three minutes to go around, do your burnout. By that time, you've kind of thought about what you want to say in your interview. You've relaxed a little bit. IndyCar, same thing, right? You win a race, you go around the pace lap, and you got time before you go to winner's circle. We make a run. 3.8 second run at 330 miles per hour. Who knows what's going on in the cockpit, especially a funny car. You're trying to manhandle this thing to the finish line, hoping you can get it between the cone and the wall of the finish line. Pull the chute, and within another 30 seconds, you're around the corner, and you're getting out of this thing, and they've got Fox television cameras on you the minute you get out. So we don't have a lot of time. You, you talk about these you know, fisticuffs and things in the past where I've gotten out. You don't have time to sometimes sit back and think, well, Maybe I should think about this and go look at the replay. Maybe he didn't hold me up. Uh, and, and there's so many times I've gone and apologized to people later because I get out and I, I'm emotional when I'm going down the track and somebody held me up. I'm telling you, and Jay, I'll probably say the same thing. You're at half track and you're thinking, I can't wait to get out and knock this guy out. Like you're so upset <laughs> and you're, that's all you're thinking about. But not just that happening. I mean, we literally come around the corner, you pop out of the roof hatch and there are the cameras and somebody asking you your thoughts to what just happened where you've gone six G's and then negative nine G's when the shoots come out. So all that emotions, you're tied into this thing, you're strapped in, this adrenaline's ready to pop out of the top of your head and you don't have time to compose yourself. So I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. I think not enough credit's given to us in drag racing to where we don't get out and just start throwing blows sometimes or throwing up or, you know, or going after somebody or, or not saying the right thing. Um, so it, it, it's tough. It's not as easy as it looks. Ron, you've ran the chili bowl, right? Yeah. And speaking of fighting, <laughs> I'll never forget <laughs> the first year I ran it as a, as a regular midget, it was on a team. Listen to the guys on this team. It was Dan Lasoski. It was Tony Stewart's team, but it was Dan Lasoski, myself, Kenny Schrader and Josh Weiss. And all the cars, if you remember, they're all orange and painted the same, um, and, you know, that was cool to walk in that building and see my name on a midget with Kenny Schrader. And, and Josh Weiss at the time was this new kid coming out of California. And, uh, and of course, Dan Lasoski. I'll never forget the crew guys that he had working on my car. Uh, they, they nicknamed me Cooter, and they put it on the car. Instead of my name, they said, you get out there and don't let anybody mess with you. And if they do, you pull in the pits and leave your helmet on, and we'll take care of it. And so I've always remembered that. Oh, that? where'd that guy come from? Oh. I promise I didn't bring oh. this with me, Ron. I am not that guy. We had to give him one. I mean, Ron's got 64 of them sitting yeah. behind him. <laughs> yeah, but I don't, have, I don't have that one, that indie one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. A lot, a lot of the legends say like their career is not complete unless you've got one or the other, and maybe both. You know, so I'm very fortunate and lucky to have a, the one indie twice and and a championship. But you know, you always want more. A few of us, like I said, are living proof that kids out there racing today that you can take the path that we did if this is what you want to do. But it's going to take some work and 
you got to stick with it for sure. You go down a track so many times without nothing ever going wrong, where your mind's focused on being gl a gladiator, like gladiator mode. You're focused on hitting a tree, keeping in a groove, doing your job, doing everything right. And then it, 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 it's one of those deals where I, you, I get shell-shocked. You get what I mean? Because yeah. it took me, it literally took me a few races after that incident in 2013 when my car blew up like Corey's did. Like, it, mine blew up. If anybody's ever been in a car accident, right? That is trauma to your mind. It happens very, very fast, but when you're going through it, it takes a long time. Like, you go like this, like it hits you and you go, oh, and you're like, oh, and be like, oh, Lord, there, there's a car <laughs> hitting me from the side, too. Oh, oh, my head's about to hit the window. Right. Oh, oh, the airbag's coming out. Oh, Lord, Jesus, I see some white dust. Am I in heaven? Oh, no. No, it smells like chemical. That's just a dust from the airbags. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like stuff like that that you see. And you know what I mean? And you're like, all right, all right. I'm like, I'm here. My knee stung up a little bit. I'm here. The dust is settled. Well, when you step on the gas of a fuel car, it takes you through that control trauma every time. And it feels like a car accident because it hits you so hard. You go, oh, like, oh, it just took off. Like, ooh, there's a 60-foot clock clone. Oh, it's getting through the jiggle. Oh, Lord, right. it's coming up on the tire. Oh, oh, darn bump. They can't fix this track. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, what the <laughs> hell, man? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> you know, like, and then you get to half track and you get the trans. It's like, ooh, oh, it's hooked up. It's like, oh. <laughs> God, dog is starting to spin a tire. They got to put this fresh paved asphalt down. Now they couldn't let it season in. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you talk about politics and stuff, that's the hardest deal because that's what divides all of our people is right. politics. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But we need to start doing this thinking about the people. Right. And Absolutely. us coming together. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like when we think about this, like the Brainerd deal. We're talking about Brainerd. Right. All those people get out in that zoo. Nobody knows who what nope. who no is cares. or what don't, is. Don't even care. All they care about is the time that they're sharing with each other and how they're going to get through that seven days and have an enjoyable time. If they got enough, if they got enough beer, put him on the ballot. <laughs> you, All right, he's got, got my vote. vote. Got my vote. <laughs> but you know, but I'm just you're in. You're I'm in. just <laughs> I'm just saying, and, and that's why I look at each and every day, and that's one thing about our sport. In yeah. NHRA drag racing, that brings all the people together because we don't have stuff that divide people. Right. Every ticket's a pit pass. Right. Everybody gets to come up and see Jr. Comes John Force, yeah. whoever, myself, and get to come up and we get to relate. That's how it gave us our hopes of a dream to be a reality because we are able to put ourselves in that position because everybody's normal people. Yeah, we don't need to be separated from other people. So down there. Everybody has horns on their cars and trucks on there. Like, basically, it's like courtesy. You get a couple beeps, get the hell out of the way. If not, like, then they're going to start hitting you. It's a nerf. Yeah. Right. right. Well, yeah. some of the trails down there, like, there's not room to get over. Like, hur, hur, hur. I'm like, Morgan, get the hell out of the way. Oh, I can't. All of a sudden, bam, bam, bam. Finally, falls it, finds a place to pull over. Robbie Gordon. Oh, yes. Like, like that was cool. I thought. Like, Jr's like, that's cool. Warriors <laughs> like this. You're right. Like, oh man. We had him, man. We shouldn't have yeah, let him go. Yeah, like, like, I never saw him broke. Now when did we pass him? Because the trophy truck started running us, right? <laughs> but he was gone. Like, yeah, I thought that was cool. Like we just got punted by Robbie Gordon. So how'd you run at Volusia this year? <sighs> 
You know what? I'm I'm going to let you off the hook here. Let's 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 let the fans know that you were on you were on the podium three of the first four races. So okay, now you can talk about Belushi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want that damn Gator. Man, one lap. That's it. But that's what that's what gets you the drive to keep coming back for one more and one more. lap from the Gator. Yeah. Well, that's why. Hopefully, next year. Next question: <laughs> Who is the second winningest NHRA Pro Stock driver? Come on, Jr. Uh, who is Jack Coughlin Jr.? <laughs> Come on, Antron. The second most winningest Pro Stock car driver would be. Oh, he don't know Warren Johnson. <laughs> no, Ken. Jason Line. No. So Warren Johnson was the winningest, and uh, Bob Glidden is the, the second, second winningest. It's Bob Glidden. It's Bob Glidden. Yeah. Huh. But I, I would relish those days, and I see it now with my son. Always, Dad, can I go to work with you? I'm like, oh, not today. Maybe on Saturday. And that, I was that kid. I was, you know, I'd go with my, go to work with my dad on Saturday mornings. We stop at McDonald's, he'd grab me yeah. food, and we'd go in the shop, and I go. There was like there was points in the shop that I, you know, I didn't feel comfortable going past a certain a certain door. <laughs> the you know, safe zones. Yeah, you know, I, I'd feel comfortable hanging out by the race bikes and by the mills and things like that. But back in the pipe production, it was like that was like the no man's land. Like I'm not going back there. You see guys wearing masks and goggles and full, full polishing suits. Like, the aliens. Yeah. The aliens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. alien alien uh, nightmares all because of that. There's all this stuff that me and him that I can say did together on these motorcycles that taught us how to be where we are today. And uh, I don't think it would be possible if you were down each other's necks or, you know, hated each other. It's like you have to have an understanding of what each person is. And we're both completely different as in, like, the... the as you can tell, he talks a lot more. Than yeah, I do. The, the human being, I would say, we're both completely different. He's reserved, back, calm. I'm the loud mouth that never shuts up and keeps going. But uh, we kind of neutral out each other and work really good together. Yeah. I'm trying to keep the fun rival going because it's good for the sport. It's good for the fans. And it legitimately is a little bit of a, a, you know, a brotherly sisterly rivalry going on between Eddie and myself, but I've gotten so close to them that it's hard to even pretend that I don't like him anymore. So there you go. I really miss Eddie. I like Eddie, <laughs> but I still want to be on the right side. <laughs> People may not see us working that much at the racetrack because we've done so much preparation to get to each and every event. You see some, other teams out there and there's chaos going on sometimes and it's just that's they're just not... rolling in the track no motors in the bikes no nothing yeah. bikes are all apart got to put them together you know and it's like we say we go to the track to race we don't go to the track to work and races are won and lost at the shop yeah. if i go out there and, and i fail to perform i really feel bad for the guys on the team because they're the ones that are putting it on the line they're leaving their families they're they're at the shop endless hours when we ask them to be and uh if if there's some reason we don't turn on a wind light because it's a rider's fault that's uh, that's when it comes home to hit me that hey I just let my team down and but we come back to the trailer and they just they fight through it and they say hey we'll move on to the next one we'll get them I mean we even told Angel that when she came aboard that was the number one thing was we're not gonna sit here yell at you and beat you up because like Terry's Terry's probably only ever called me twice after like a loss and not to yell at me to ask me hey what are you thinking but um it's it's like you go through these funks as drivers or racers or whatever it may be and um you gotta battle out of that and that's the key and that's what i told angel is there's no extra pressure you're not trying to prove anything to us you're here because we know you can do it 
if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. Just learn off your mistake. As long as you don't make that same mistake twice or three times, we're all good. And I, I think that's the key to, to really the fine balance of being a racer to a championship caliber racer. The whole time we're sitting at a table, they're constantly looking, looking at the door, <laughs> looking up, see who's walking in, who's looking at us. I'm like, this is so weird. I don't know if they're planning to kill we me. We were just looking a sticker with the bill. We were like, we could tell if somebody's <laughs> coming to go like this and get the bill and leave. I didn't know why they wanted me there. And then we started talking about the possibility of putting a third bike and would I be interested in riding on a team? Yes. Yes. That's how fast I answered it. <laughs> you know, we're, we're thinking about putting a third bike. Would you be? Yes. Yes. And they said, well, don't you want to hear, you know, hear what's going on before you say yes? I'm like, nope. Yes. No, you, you had me at breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Skinny. To watch the video versions of all of our shows, please visit our YouTube channel, Fatheads TV. Be sure to check out all the latest sun and optical eyewear at fatheads.com. Special thanks to our sponsorship partners at Elliott's Custom Trailers and Carts. This has been a production of Fathead Studios. Please remember to subscribe. <laughs>